Hello everyone, welcome. No intros or music, we're stripping right back to what's essential. And I'm going to try and get through this intro in one take. If you're listening from the future, it's the 30th of April 2020 and most of the world has been through something that not many of us alive have ever experienced before. Firstly, I hope everyone listening is okay. Like all of you, I've gone through a range of emotions with all this. Last month, five days before the lockdown, I had to deliver a eulogy in front of a packed out church for my dad's funeral and then lay him to rest. That and the weeks leading up to it was the most intense experience of my life, but it did give me some closure. So if you have lost a loved one through this pandemic, I really hope you've been able to get through it given the restrictions that are in place and our thoughts really are with you. I wasn't sure what to do with the podcast once the lockdown came as it felt a bit insensitive pushing content out when we're all faced with such uncertainty. But there seems to be a thirst for it now and hopefully, if nothing else, this will give you some respite from everything that you're going through. I do get asked to put more podcasts or more podcasts out and I would like to but there are a few barriers that I'm facing. One, I only put stuff out when I feel I've got something relevant to say, so that's not very often, admittedly, or when an interesting guest gets in touch and asks to come on, who might challenge my ways of thinking. I don't want this to become noise or clutter, and I've stopped listening to a lot of other podcasts myself for this reason. Two, I really only like doing them in person. I feel it's a much more natural and better conversation, especially nowadays when we're constantly connected to uh, web networks and what have you to switch off and have a proper sit down conversation with someone is a rare thing. However, I've been impressed with how much better the video conferencing technology is, is getting and improving. And I'm doing a few webinars with various organizations coming up. So I'll be putting the audio from these conversations on here when I get hold of them. And number three is the intros. I don't have a problem with speaking publicly, but recording these intros can take me up to an hour at a time as I get very, very uncomfortable talking into a mic in an empty room. So thankfully, our coach development lead at Liverpool FA, Wayne Wardle, is going to take over these duties from now on. And it will be much better to have a proper Scouse accent fronting this. So thank you, Wayne. In this episode, we have Tom Statham and Craig Lawrence. We actually recorded this a couple of years ago on a UEFA A licence when we were down in Cheshire. And I realised soon after the recording that it didn't save. But I was having a clear out on my phone recently and I found the backup that I'd made on the voice notes on my phone. So here we are. Tom has been an academy coach since 1994 at a club who play in red just down the M62. Tom was also the FA Foundation Phase Coach of the Year in 2015 and the inaugural winner, I believe. Craig is a colleague of mine at the FA. He's a regional PE and coaching education coordinator. And I would give you the highlights of this conversation, but it's been that long ago. I can't remember that much of the detail, but I do remember it being a very wide ranging and fun conversation with the both of them. And I hope you enjoy this one with Tom and Craig. Craig Lawrence and Tom Statham, welcome aboard Liverpool FA podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And, uh, 
uh, Tom, this is our, our take two, trying to get this going. So thanks for, for coming out of your way and coming and joining us in, in the hotel that we're, we're staying at as part of our A licence this evening. Um, the, the first time I, I came, well, what I thought was the first time I came across you was recently on the uh, another podcast that is well worth listening to, The Way of Champions. And um, I thought it was a fantastic interview. And then weirdly, Craig, you, you made the connection and I didn't realise you actually knew Tom from, uh, from a, a while back and made the connection and suddenly we're, we're here all around the table this evening. So the power of, um, the power of podcasts, I suppose. Yeah, I think it was probably the next day, wasn't it? I just happened to bump into you and said, you know, I think you might want to get Tom on board and you, you, you said that on the night before I'd already listened to the podcast. So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. The stars have aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the planets have aligned more like. Um, and then, but then I realised, uh, Tom, that it, I'd, it was not the first time I'd seen your name and <coughs> I, looking back, I realised that you'd won the Foundation Phase Coach of the Year for the FA Awards back in, I think, 2015. That's correct. And I remember be, sitting at the conference and seeing your name in the programme. Um, yeah, so here and we are. I, no, I didn't realise that. And then, uh, yeah, I believe they so. Yeah. Didn't tell me. <laughs> Basically, the, the, they didn't tell me. So then I was someone from the club said to me, well, "Why didn't you? Why didn't you go and get your award?" And I was like, "What award?" So basically, the, the FA gave me the award, but didn't tell me that I was there was a there was a administration cock up basically, and I missed it. Oh, we got we got there in the end. Though, <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, normally with most of the guests, what we do is almost start with that kind of life story. How did you get into coaching um, and take it from there? But I want to um, go in reverse and, and work backwards this evening. So um, you've been working with which group tonight? The under 10s. Under 10s. Yeah. Um, so what I want to what we want really want to do is kind of dig into your experiences of of working in the academy, working with kids and being in such an established academy and a club for such a long time. And, um, but if we start with this evening, you know, if, tell us about um, the session tonight. What, you know, just describe, if you can, to us you know, the experiences that the kids would have had. Yep, so on a Thursday night, we have the under-11s and 10s work together. Uh, so they all come in. So uh, quarter to six, they're, they're all there waiting to come into the indoor arena that we've got. We've got an indoor AstroTurf pitch at the cliff in Salford. Um, so all the pitches are set out already. We've got different sort of 3v3 pitches, some with little goals, some with big goals with goalkeepers and so on. So as the kids come in, um, just sat, sat them down while, again, the, we just arranged the pitches slightly. And then just, I said, I said, uh, right, get in a group of three, get on a pitch. And then the kids ran, you know, got the mates, Ran, grabbed a football, ran onto the pitch, started playing, and uh, when we sort of gra- grabbed some bibs, and I walked along the pitches, just threw out three bibs on each pitch, and then you know the kids started playing football, and then as the others arrived, so then you know kids are travelling from different parts of the country really, so as a kid had arrived, then you'd you know start another game up or add one to a pitch and so on, so they play that for sort of I don't know five ten minutes, and then we rotate them round, so you know all the bibs go clockwise or whatever. And so they play that until about 6.15. So they have about half an hour of just really informal 3v3 um, football. And then um, at that point, we got all the kids in together and then the under 11s actually went outside because at the cliff we've got an outdoor floodlit pitch as well. And because it wasn't too bad with the weather, um, then the under 11s went outside and the tens were inside, so we had uh, about twenty. I think we had about twenty-seven kids. We got a big group, 
So then we split them into four teams and we set out a, a, a big pitch, like a 60 by 40 pitch. And we play, so we had four teams. So two teams played each other, at seven aside. And then we set up some head tennis at the, behind the goal. And the other two teams played head tennis. So we had like pinks, greens, blues, and, and then non-bibs. And so two teams played and then they swapped. And then they, the teams that had been playing head tennis went and played football. And then I did a little rotation so that basically we had six minute games, so you know, and they all played each other twice and they all played lots of head tennis and they had a great time. Is that, is that a typical Thursday night or is that a typical session indeed? Or No, it's a bit different because in January and February we, we have an indoor programme where we have a lot of tournaments and you know, some tournaments, again, are, are internal just amongst our kids. Some tournaments we have with lots of different clubs come in. So, and there, there are a lot of them are sort of four, well, five aside, a lot of them, five aside, six aside maximum. So there's a lot of small-sided indoor football on small pitches. And now with the games programme starting up again where we're, we're playing other teams and, um, you know, at seven aside, eight aside, that sort of thing, uh, then we just wanted to give the kids a bit more of a experience running around a bigger pitch, really, because... Yeah. Uh, you know, as you might, other clubs do a lot. Well, they they take it quite seriously. The Sunday games and they're very structured and organised. And you know, the the opposition are tactically far more aware than our kids because we do very little tactical work with them, very little shape work with them. So it's just giving them a bit, you know, bit of a experience on a bigger pitch. So if you're if if you're sacrificing that tactical shape work, yeah. what what's the what's the priority then? Technique yeah. work. Uh, we work so I'd say a typical session would be you know we do the half hour 3v3 stuff and then we tend then to split the the groups um, you know sometimes by age group sometimes we stream them or whatever but we then tend to have maybe three groups working um, so I'll take a group and it'll, I'll have about 12 kids and we'll do usually do some sort of possession type game in that way different sorts of games sometimes with goals you know or I might work that there'll be two of us working so let's say you Jack you've got a dozen kids and I've got a dozen kids and you might do some shooting stuff like that and I'll do a possession type game and then you know you have them for 20 minutes and I'll have them for 20 minutes then we'll switch yeah. over and do that so we, we tend to have that sort of thing so we start at half an hour with the 3v3 4v4s then we'll do some sort of technique usually in game situations or some shooting type thing and then um you know that that'll take us from say quarter past six till sort of seven ten past seven and then the last sort of 35 40 minutes we'll do some six asides and finish playing six asides sounds pretty hectic well yeah it's, yeah. it's a lot, they get the kids get a lot of football they, they get you know so what I, you know, what I prefer is to is to just set the things up for the kids and then let them go. And from you know, my the way that I like to work is there's very little um, stopping, very little vocal input from me, um, because in what I've I've learned really, or my my belief is that the kids will learn a lot more from doing than they will from listening to me. And if you do need to speak to a kid for whatever reason, then often do it individually or if you do need to make a point then I really want to you know stop get them in quickly what do you do blah 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 and get them out yeah. as quickly as possible it, it sounds like that um, 
I'm surmising here, but it sounds like there's very little sort of transition time between practices or games that you, yeah. the way that you and the other coaches work together is that um, you kind of squeeze every minute out of the time yeah, that you've got. Yeah, we, we do. It's really, you know, you just fit into a, um, a way of being in that, like tonight, you know, someone, someone picks the teams, someone sets out the took cones, someone else moves the goals, you know, so it is, every, we just want to get the kids playing as much football as possible, yeah. you know, because when you, You've got that time. Basically, we work from quarter to six to quarter to eight. So you've got two hours there. So while the when you've got all these talented footballers together, then you want to play. Mm. You know, so that's... <laughs> I don't see... I can't... You know, I, I don't really see any other way. They've just got to play football, haven't they? Because, again, in my experience, you get better at playing football by playing football, mm. not by listening to some old bloke going about what a brilliant coach he is and how much he knows about the game. It just doesn't work that way. Um <laughs> And again, that that's something again that I've learned is that as a coach, you've the more you minimise your role, the better. The you know the 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 less serious you take yourself, the better it is for the kids. The more you need to dominate and it all be about you, the worse it is for the kids. So if you go into it thinking I'm here for the benefit of the kids, and tonight I'm going to make sure that when they go home, they've had so much football and they've had a brilliant time, and they can't wait to you know come back. Job done. Yeah, that's. Uh, it's a, I think it's a lesson for all of us. And the, the, there's something that you said there that was frantically noting down. Where, when I asked you about what you sacrifice in terms of that that tactical focus, and you said technique, but you just said that basically the the kids are are playing in games for the two hours. Yeah. Now there and there's there will be potentially people out there listening in who who may be thinking, well, you can't develop technique in games. What would be the response to that? The technique is best developed in games. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, you know, people think, oh, technical practice, people stand around kicking a ball. But again, in my experience, what I've learned is that it has to be in you know, a game situation. If you, want to, if you want to practice a technique, then you need to create a game that gets that technique out. Because, uh, hold on, I've got a sticky uh, throat. Sorry. Um, so technique in games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I've just learned that it's best to, to for the kids to pick up techniques in a game because when you when you have these practices where you just have a line or you have a formal technical practice, then you teach technique one way, and the way that you do something is not the way that I'll do something. And so, you know, if, if, we, if I have to pass the ball five yards, I'm left-footed. So I might choose to use the outside of my left foot, but you might be right foot and you use the inside of your right foot. But if the technique, no, no, you've got to do, and again, it's this thing of you've got to do it this way, you've got to do it this way. And no, you don't have to do it that way. You have to be successful. So as long as I'm getting that pass done, then that's successful. Or I've got a beta man. Well, you might beat a man with, a certain move but I'm not really comfortable with that move so I use you know like someone like Chris Waddle when he played he, he didn't really have that many he sort of just dropped his shoulder and glides past people whereas other players you know have to use moves in that way so as long as you beat the player so to me if you want to work on beating players then set up lots of situations where the kids have to take players on and then they will develop their own way and their own methods and have their own successes rather than saying, 
Right, today we're going to look at beating players, dribble the ball up to here, right foot goes this way, left foot goes, you know, it's, it, it, I, I don't find the kids learn that better that way. And also, you know, to, the other thing, we, we went a few years at, at United, um, went through a phase of doing a lot of curver stuff. Lots of people out there might like curver stuff and that's fine. But, um, you know, it's, it's, there's no decisions there. There's nothing, and, and the, the drills that you do, the kids do them about, 30, 40% pace, yeah. and they're very slow. Whereas if you put them into a game, they're at match pace. And, and this was a conversation actually that came up at, just at dinner tonight, Craig, actually, wasn't it? And it was about um, that, that isolated technique ball mastery work done in, with no context to the game. And I, I think it was over Christmas, it, I'm, it might have been even Christmas Day, uh, I'm that sad <coughs> that I went on, on Twitter and, um, saw a, a, a video that had been posted and, and retweeted quite a lot of, of a young boy doing um, some ball mastery drills or tricks. And it looked fantastic, I've got to say. But all, all I was drawn to was the boy's head because it, all I could see was the top of it because his eyes were just looking at his feet. And it, it uh, you know it got me thinking that for him to be able to manipulate the ball successfully in the game, he's got to unravel that to stop looking at his feet constantly to be able to look up and see what the threat and where that's coming from I don't from. think there's anything wrong with that because if he's doing that at home you know yeah. that, that's absolutely fine but my point earlier I said when you've got 20 odd kids together then play so when he's at home he can practice like juggling ball juggling's great to practice touch and coordination things like that and, and sounds like this kid was doing the same thing mm. but why would you do that when you've got 20 kids yeah. together when they can all you, know, you can play a really high level game that's challenging and and fun and exciting and then you know the so things like I mean I I've read a lot of autobiographies and Dennis Law used to dribble a ball to school or if he didn't have a ball he'd have a tin can and stuff like that so he's on his own with a ball and that's fantastic mm. so I think kids should spend a lot like Bobby Chant used to strike a ball against a wall constantly so spending time with the football is is really essential but that's outside your practice time yeah. as a group really but when you've got the kids together then you've got to as a coach you've got to set up games in my, in my opinion that's your job is to create games set up situations that where the kids can learn really and then you just sit back and watch and you don't interfere and then you look at it and think oh is it working and if it's not working why is it not working is it not working because I've not set the correct challenge yeah kids maybe not quite good enough or their understanding or I've not explained it properly or and then you look to tweak it and you know it, you, you just got to alter it slightly and then you know suddenly you get as old as me and doing it as long as I've been doing it and you just have these practices that you really know work mm. so you just keep going with those practices and and that's, I suppose that's another bit of advice I give to people is you don't have to have 500 different practices um, you know just have you know five six seven things that you really like and then just tweak them every now and then so I do I mean I coach at a private school with um, under 18s and I do pretty much the same thing with the under 18 kids as I do with the under 10s at United you just adapt it slightly and mm. I, I want to bring you in here Craig because you've been sitting there <laughs> very patiently um, Not bad. Uh, yeah, Tom was talking about having that opportunity to work in those game like scenarios and I know you and I were discussing uh, previously about how those opportunities may not be as 
or come about as often with the kind of experiences that, that kids might be getting at, at, at school now mm-hmm. um, to, to play games to, to play in school teams um, tell us a little bit more about your experiences of, of, of school and maybe how that um, how what Tom's just been saying it relates to your time that you spent growing up in Germany yeah so um, yeah so my dad worked for the um, for the Ministry of Defence so my dad was a teacher and uh, he used to um, we moved to Germany in 1986 I was four years old um, and uh, I joined a, a German football club and played for a German football club from four to 14 so I, w- I went to school with like British kids and um, like so Scots and Manx and, 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 and Scousers and uh, you know Southerners as well so it was a real eclectic mix and it was, it was you know people would move in and out so I'd, I played with a lot of British kids but um, so my experience in, in Germany was, um, was, was fantastic because I played for a really good German football club called SC Rintown um, and they, they had great facilities. This was just a small town, but they had a, like, a floodlit pitch, uh, a couple of pitches, a clubhouse. So it was a real social community sort of uh, feel and aspect to it. Um, uh, but in the winter, we used to, we, like Tom was saying earlier, like you, you mentioned the weather, especially up in Manchester this time of year, we just played indoors. So in, in Germany, like the, the kids aren't playing outdoors at the moment because from probably November, December, January, February, maybe March, we just play indoors. So we train maybe twice a week in, indoors. Now, don't get me wrong, it didn't make me a great player or anything. But, uh, did I've seen um, you play. No, no, no. today. But, you know, we used to go indoors and then so we train and then uh, linking to what Tom said about, you know, you probably play, you play, I know you do, you play like lots of tournaments and like World Cups yeah. at United. Like, yeah. It's fun and like, the kids love, oh, you're Argentina, you're Brazil. So on like a Saturday or a Sunday, like the, the local one town would host a tournament and I don't know, 12, 16 clubs would come to that town and we'd play indoors all day and in the sport halls, so the sports halls there. Um, and it was, um, it was like futsal goals, handball goals, but with, uh, with maybe a size four or a size five ball. It wasn't a futsal. So it wasn't futsal as such, but it was indoor football and you just have loads of fun. And I just remember like, even though I was the only English kid in the team and the rest of German. My German probably at that time wasn't great, but just being around like other kids and you know when we weren't playing, we'd just, just I don't know, go have loads of fun. We'd be outside maybe in the snow or just like coming to kick about and then we'd come in for our game and, and play. Um, and then you kind of wonder why maybe the Germans are very good at tournament football as well because like every week, the next week would be in another town, we'd have another tournament and then another tournament and then another tournament. And then that, that manifested itself into the summer because all I can remember from the summer was just playing tournaments every week. And so, so in Germany, the league system is really non-ex- non-existent. I mean, there is a league, I, from what I remember. Um, we used to play matches. I think they were in a league every week. But I, I didn't really care too much about them. But the main thing was like the tournaments. And in the summer, there'd be, you know, be like uh, a beer stand for the parents, but you know, not in a sort of yobby sort of way it was mm. very you know, organised and controlled and there'd be like things for the kids to do like so stalls and then like juggling challenges and then there'd be in Germany they have like this wall with a couple of holes in and you have to kick the ball through the wall and you get prizes and stuff like that so it was like a real festival sort of atmosphere and that was kind of every week um, but going, kind of going back to the league thing I, for 10 years I played in Germany from 4 to 14 I cannot remember once looking at a league table because I, 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 I just it wasn't important so maybe if like my my teammates thought it was important they might have got like the local newspaper and like, there's the league table but for me I, I can't I generally can't remember looking at a league table but I just kind of like played football for the love of it um, so yeah that was that was that was probably my experience of Germany um, you know organised well structured I can't remember being shouted at at all in 10 years by parents so that might have happened 
Like, I, I generally can't remember any anything. I, one thing I remember, like we had some dad refereeing, and some one of my teammates made a comment about the referee, and the, the son heard him, and that was it. That's the only kind of an antagonistic kind of situation I can remember in in sort of ten years. So for me, it was phenomenal. It's obviously shaped the way I sort of coach and the way I kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of like I think the game should be played, yeah. especially that foundation phase. And and so how do you see the differences? So that you a lot of what you mentioned there is kind of I suppose typical to the German culture and, mm. and what you were immersed in. And how do you see the differences in what? the culture in you, which you grow up at primary school and those experiences in your local club to what the, the kids in our country are potentially having go in their, in their primary school experience. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, so my role is, um, so I work for the FA as a regional PE coordinator. So I spend a lot of time in primary schools. So like when I think about primary schools, probably the, the same for us, you know, primary school break times, that's mm-hmm. in lunchtime. So that was, that was the best time. So you'd be out, playground, you'd, you'd run out, you'd play, and, and, you know, I don't know if there was any teachers there, but you'd play 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It seemed like a lifetime, but it was probably only 20, 30 minutes. And, you you, you know, you'd, you'd have, like, maybe, a, I was maybe in year three, and then you'd have, like, a couple of year fours and a couple of year twos, and it was mixed, and, like, jumpers for goalposts, all sorts of things. But now, like, I find um, quite a lot of the primary schools that I go into are quite sanitised. Um, I call it, like, the adultification of, of childhood. So they're... You know they're controlled. Like the kids are controlled about what they can and can't do. Well, oh, you can't go on the grass because it's because it's too wet, or you, you can't go on the, the. So a lot of schools are banning football now in in in, in the playtime um, because of behavioural issues. Mm-hmm. Whereas my argument is, well, actually, like a lot of kids learn how to sort out um, difficult situations by playing football or or being left to it because they will sort it out. Um, and they learn those soft social skills through actually sorting out a resolving conflict through maybe things like playing football. And now they're not getting the opportunity to play football. Um, and I think, I think that's actually quite worrying, really. Or if they are allowed to play football, it might be through like the teacher put, having to put on a practice. And it's not like free play. It's, it's the teacher saying, well, you have to do this or you have to do that. And I, I just don't think that's right for sort of 5 to 11. Just the, kind of the last thing on it. Um, I actually was in a school in Dagenham the other day. So Dagenham, really socially deprived area um, they had a, it was a school probably a thousand primary school kids and they've got a phenomenal PE coordinator there who's just like immersed knows all the kids and you just I just walked into the school and I thought this school's brilliant um, not in terms of facilities and I was there on a Friday afternoon and watched a couple of PE lessons got involved and it was really good and, and, and watched a couple of coaches from West Ham Foundation work and they were really good and the, the, the staff were out there and helping out and the kids were having a great time and learning and then at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, they have playtime, which I thought was quite bizarre. And all these kids just pile out in the playground and they were setting up all these like unorganised sort of football matches and there was like a netball court. And then there was like maybe a 6v6 going on on the netball court and had some like mini goals in. And the quality of the football, these might have been like year five, year six boys, was unreal. And there was another game going on, another game. And the teachers were just like, just letting them play. There was no kind of like, oh, you can't do that, oh, you can't do that, oh, you can't do that. Just letting kids like just explore play you know and and I thought that was a great thing like on a Friday afternoon and then you have like 20 minutes 30 minutes play and then they go home I thought it was just like a really good good way of doing things yeah you get that kind of um that I get it with with the club some of the clubs I I go in and support coaches in you kind of get that good feeling the the second that you walk into 
the, the club or the, the Astro mm-hmm. or the, the sports hall. Um, you know, there just seems to be that kind of positive atmosphere that that you walk into. And that what you talked about the the mixed age groups there, and that's one one of the things I wanted to uh, pick up with you, Tom. Is um, you've you mentioned that you had the tens and the elevens mixed up. I mean, this is something that I've I've heard on here say that is that you do you do quite a lot in the academy. Is that um, bringing bringing kids in from different age groups to play with and against one another? I think we used to do it a lot more. Yeah. Um, and again, I, th- I don't know if it's who brought the rule in, but there's now a rule where you can't you can only play one year up or something okay. like that, which. I don't know who brought the rule in, but yeah. they don't they don't really study the history of football and how players develop because you know you, the the best players always play. You know when you're a little kid, you play against older kids, you play against adults, and that takes back to you know several years ago. There's um, I watched a game at, at the Carrington Training Ground at United, and it had um, like Brian McClare was the academy manager who played four hundred odd you know times for the first team, and you got a twelve year old Marcus Rashford playing and it was about 14 aside and you got all ages in between so you had kids from you know 12 13 14 15 up to sort of under 18s and the academy manager and one or two of the other coaches and they were just playing and it was the most intense game and you know how how fantastic for a young 12 year old right he went on to be you know a bit of a superstar but that happened regularly where you and you're learning as a 12 year old you're just learning so much Mm from everyone else there you're picking things up um you know the way that they, they, they go about it their attitude obviously the the technique and so on and the way the game's played so there's so much you can learn if you if you play against kids that are older than you then they become role models for you you can you observe them you think oh I can try that and and it also improves you as well you know everyone knows that if you want to whatever you're playing if it's chess or tennis or tiddlywinks if you're playing someone that's better than you then you have to develop your game to, to go up to that standard. If you're playing some, if you're the best player all the time, you're not going to develop. So I think, you know, the, if you're younger, you're put into that environment with older, better players, then that is a, a brilliant learning environment. Mm. And then for the older players as well, I think they, they get more success by playing against younger players, but also it develops them as leaders and develops their social side. So they they become little mentors, you know, for the, and they protect them. You don't have this situation if you play a 12-year-old against a 16-year-old. The 16-year-old doesn't smash the 12-year-old. It doesn't happen that way. You know, it looks after them. So, you know, he's on my team, so you look after him and you, and you nurture him. So, yeah, I think it's a big shame that it doesn't happen more. Yeah, I mean, the estate uh, that I grew up on, we had... Um, <laughs> quite a wide mix of, of, of age ranges uh, that we knocked around with sort of our age to maybe plus four or five years but we were, we were quite a tight tight-knit group um, but as the younger ones we had to sort of like you say earn the respect of the elders and they would in turn they would have our back if anything exactly. anything got untoward but um, but that was one of the things I wanted to to tee up and, and ask you about was the was the cage um, the stories from the cage, I believe. Yeah, and that's I mean that that's we had this thing at, at United, which is called the cage, where it's a it's a small pitch, probably about fifty by thirty five, something like that. Uh, I think the goals are about three quarter size, and, and it's there just sometimes you do play five aside or six aside, but often you know, saying certainly in in past years, um, there was it was just a mass of kids on there, and saying some the coaches as well. 
and just games that went on for ages and ages and ages. Say so 12 aside, 13 aside, 14 aside, and just very, very intense, you know, very competitive games where there was no time on the ball. So again, you have to learn, if you're going to receive the ball in that sort of environment, you have to know what's around you. You know, you, you have to know what, you know, the opponents around you, teammates around you. So that, that part of making decisions before the ball comes to you, if you weren't doing that, then you were dead. And the ball was moving so fast. And then if you had chance, you know, if you got a chance to score and you didn't score, then you'd have people having a go. You know, it was very, very competitive, uh, very high level, very intense. So, you know, that, that, these are sort of environments where, you know, it is a, it's a Darwin type thing, is the strong survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's, it's great fun, very competitive, very enjoyable, but it really does sort out, you know, the, the wheat from the chaff in that way. Just, um, I remember Tom telling me a few years ago about how um, sort of the kids would arrive at, at, at Carrington or, or, or at Cliff and, um, and they'd almost like be out of the car before the mum had stopped or the dad had stopped the car. It's, it's, it's almost, I, I've got this kind of image in my head of this kid kind of like falling out of a car and like running, <laughs> running into the cage. It was well, just that's, the way you, way, and then like, right, whose team am I on? Whose team am I on? And you just like, that, or you I just mean, choose a team and you bang, that's it, you're in. I think that's one of the, you know, there's lots of, bits of advice I could I could try and give to people that run grassroots clubs but one of the first things is start with a game just start you know with something it doesn't have to whether it's game with goals or whatever or you just use cones or just start with something exciting because then you know we used to start practices at six o'clock and and then it, we had to start them early because the kids would be turning up so early and there'd be the faces pressed against the glass waiting to come in and you get that situation where you know, we got the, the car parks quite full, and especially as we've got like pre-academy kids leaving, their session ends, and then the academy kids coming in, and you've got a small car park, you've got stewards there, be, you know, trying to stop people, get kids getting run over, because, as Craig said, the, the kids are, be, the kids get out of the car before they're parked, and they're running to the door to get in, because they want to get there as soon as possible, and I think, you know, that all goes back to what I said before, is that you've got to make your training session the best part of that kid's day and the best part of his week so and I know earlier we chatted about you know what we did tonight and what we did tonight was brilliant in that you know they played lots of games and the head tennis is fantastic for kids as well to end to develop their touch and technique but it's the social interaction as well and their coordination and balance all these things are great but it's also how we do it and, and as the kids arrive we, we shake the kids hands so and and initially you've got to try and make them laugh so it's as they come in the door you know i, I just as craig was talking i was drifting off a little bit so i was thinking yeah, I, was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about That's that norm, don't <laughs> and i was Love i was going back to that before they actually played the 3v3s and you know i, I was trying to make them laugh so they come in you shake hands and I, I did a few i said hello to them in a silly voice I put on a posh voice and said, oh, hello, and welcomes it, and all that sort of stuff, just to make one or two of them laugh. And then something happened, and I started to sing a song, um, just like an old song and stuff. Like, and, and the kids are looking at you like you're stupid, because you are. But it's, get, it's just getting that first few minutes of the session, and the kids are excited, and then there you are, and, and you're trying to make them laugh, and you're singing a silly song, and it just it just calms everything down so they're not coming to Manchester United this you know one of the biggest clubs in the world to get onto this serious session that's going to you know vital for their future footballing careers when they you know it's not like that. it's just like you're a load of kids you're coming here I'm here to make you have a great time uh, it's not I'm not there to try and prove 
how wonderful I am and what great knowledge I've got. I'm just here to to make sure you have a fantastic time. And you, and I, and uh, again later on, the kids were saying to me they were doing the head tennis and they're saying, "How long are the games?" So I go, "Oh, about that long." Like putting my thumb and <laughs> forefinger together, and they're going, "No, no." How long, how long are the matches? They say the matches. How long are the matches? I said, well, the matches at my house. They're in a little box. <laughs> and then they no, 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 no. How long are the matches? I said, well, they're about that long. Well, how long's that? I said, well, about three inches. Well, three minutes? No, no, three inches. Well, how long's that then? Uh, it just gets them crazy. And you've got all these about five, nine, ten-year-old kids just shouting at you about how long. And it's just, it's so stupid. But... It's just, I think that's just your role as a, with, especially with young kids, but with any kids, is just to make them laugh. And that's mm. one thing that you don't get on a, on a coaching course. Now, if I was designing coaching course, it'd be essential. You've got to have jokes. And, and I have these, all these stupid jokes that I've had for years and years and years. Like the matches one is, is one, you know, are, are, we, the kids, are we only play matches? No, don't play with matches. It'll burn yourself. Right? And just say that. I've been saying that for like, well, over a decade to the point where a few years ago there was a kid that um, went to Burnley as a pro and he was about 20 and he came back this is about three or four years ago he came back to watch his train at the foundation base and he said to me oh you're still doing that joke with the matches so I called over one of the kids and I said no I'll uh said to the to the kid that was you know he's under he's under the ten or whatever are we are we playing matches later and he went no don't play matches you might burn yourself and it was the same joke (laughs) You know, this kid, this guy was like twenty, and so ten years later, this the same old stuff. But it, it just it makes the kids happy, and it just makes me. I think that's the other thing. A lot of a lot of coaches think they need to make themselves as important as possible, whereas actually the opposite is true. You you need to make yourself as insignificant and um, as silly as possible, um, and you get you know that's where you get the best results really. Yeah, and that you know I've done three level one courses so far this year for three uh, or for two grassroots clubs so they've, they've run the course in-house and what's really brought me back down to earth is that we, we try and get bogged down in the detail and the I would say for most of the coaches so there's probably about 50 50 odd coaches there the one thing that was that seemed to resonate most with them was um get the kids engaged in something that is or looks like a game the moment that they arrive that they can run themselves that you don't have to worry about yeah. that um, don't need a set number to play it so we would call it say for an example an arrival activity for, um, but those those important things that they can run it themselves it doesn't matter how many players there are and it is or looks like a game mm-hmm. once they're doing that bib them up as they're going along because what you'll then avoid is a wasting time of giving bibs out when when you when they come in, mm. and b you'll avoid any conflict of oh, I don't want to go on his team or her mm. team because they're so engaged in in what they're doing that um, you give them a bib they just put it on without thinking about mm. it. Mm. It was like a, a revelation. Mm. Uh, that's something that you know I've just taken for granted for, for years and years now. Mm. But for the for those coaches getting off to that that good positive start like you say and, and, and having them engaged with something relevant um, is, is so important and he, the, the story about running out of the car reminds me of a, a, um, a line that I think it was uh, Alistair Smith who's, who's done quite a lot of consultation with us said that the, the first rule 
of motivation when working with kids is don't demotivate. Mm-hmm. So they generally arrive if in a football sense, 100% motivated. Mm-hmm. It's our job just to try and keep them there or not do anything that, that de- de- demoralizes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, was, I was interested you say that, Jack. I was um, delivering a level one on uh, Monday evenings um, and I think it was workshop five uh, so we do every every Monday evening, and I think on workshop three, I've just shown them an arrival activity. I start right, okay, uh, get into groups of five, quick as you can. Okay, goalkeeper, there's a goal, two v two, right, go, or or go and play Wembley. Oh, who who remembers? You know, they're all maybe dads, mostly dads, but who remember who remembers Wembley World Cup cuppies, whatever you called it, um, and and go and play. And it was like then they came in the next week, they're like, oh, kids love Wembley. I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. what did you used to enjoy exactly. as as a, as a kid? Well. You, you, you play Wembley. I remember playing Wembley for, for hours on end. I, I moved to Cyprus when I was 14 and uh, we used to finish school at 1.30. So 2.30 meet the pitches and we used to play until it got dark. And we were like 14, 15, 16. You know, you don't see kids out these days like playing Wembley, playing like all those sort of street games like mm-hmm. um, uh, like Kirby or, or Over the Bar or um, you know, Heads and Volleys was, mm-hmm. a, was another, another sort of classic. And it's almost like, um, like I know Tom's talked to me in the past about just those sort of informal sort of like street games where the kids set up the games themselves and that allows maybe a grassroots coach who you might have just got on the AstroTurf or the kids can go and yeah. play Wembley that allows you time to then maybe go and set up your mm. practice or or whatever you're um, you, you, you're trying to achieve that evening yeah and that, so, I think the other thing like you said about their 100% um, motivation is that very similar to what I, I say is that the kids come to you with a love of the game. So, if, you know, then, especially at a young age, they come to you with that love of the game. And it doesn't matter what you do with those kids during your time with them. If you damage that, if in some way they leave you and their love of the game is not as strong, then you've failed. It doesn't matter if you've teached them the offside rule or to play through it off, whatever it is, because people get all this... They think that the most important thing is to, to pour the knowledge of adult football that they have into this young child... That's what they need to do. They need to teach them this and teach them that and tell them this and tell them that. Now, what you have to do, you have to nurture that child's love of the game. And it is. That's the other thing is that you, as a coach of kids, uh, you've got to appreciate that that's what they are. They're kids and they're people. And so many coaches involved with young young kids think of them as players, think of them as teams and and, and as mini adults. And they're, they're, they're just young kids. Mm. And... So you've got to treat them that way and you've got, to, you've got to deal with that first. You've got to deal with them as kids first. So what do kids like to do? And then give them that and, and create situations that they love and they find enjoyable and, and like you say, motivates them and that I would say nurtures their love of the game. And then once you've created that, then within that environment, then what can you teach them? But that's got to come first. You know, and that, it gets back a bit. I was, I was lucky enough, I got invited to... Philadelphia in January to present at the uh, the coaches conference in America. Uh, this massive coaches conference, thirteen over thirteen thousand coaches there, and I was do I did a field session and a, and a lecture. But I met over there a guy called Dan Abrahams, who's a sports psychologist, yeah. and spent uh, a day or so with Dan, and it was it was fantastic because he was he was coming from the point of view of of sort of science and theory what what he'd learned from that way and I was coming from 20 odd years of working at academy level at Man United and we were saying the same things but one was and it was really validating each other and so we 
we spent that time together. But one of the things that I remember is that he said, you you know, you've got to deal with the, with the person first. And he talked a bit about that four corner thing, you know, that, that everyone seems to accept of the psychological, the social, mm. the technical, the tactical, whatever. And he was saying, well, but that's not right because everything is social, everything. You know, the, the social part is in everything that you do. So you can't do tactics without social because if, you, if you're working, you know, an older age group and you're doing some shape play, then there's a social level to that because you're interacting with people. And the way that I might speak to Craig during that will be different to the way I speak to you, Jack. And I've got to take into account your personalities and how you are um, all the time. So, you know, things like that, uh, you know, I, I learned you know, from the, the day or so that I spent with Dan. Not only did it, it was great to spend that time talking about um, the game, and but it was, I learned from him that, it right, just reinforced it really, that mm. you've, got to, you've got to deal with a person. Um, and, and everyone's different. Yeah. Like, like we said before about technique, everyone uses different techniques. So, but also everyone is different. And, and I think if you just think of, right, I've got 15 kids here um, that are 15 years old or whatever your age group is, and you're going to treat them all the same, then I think you're going down the wrong, wrong path there. You've got to get to know the kids. And I said, you've got to get to know the ones that you can you can have a bit of a joke with, that can take a little bit of... Um, you know, stick here and there, and uh, all the ones that you don't talk to, you know. And going back again to my experience of being really lucky working with some of the kids that I have, there are some kids that have gone on now and they're doing extremely well playing professionally. That some of them you could have a great laugh with, and some of them have still reached the same level, but I hardly ever spoke to them, if I'm honest. You know, you'd shake hands with them at the beginning, and they didn't need anything from me. Mm. So that's the worst possible thing then if you. If you think, oh, I haven't spoken to that player, and you you impose yourself on them, it's actually that all the need you just need that environment and the the practices that you set up, and just let them go, yeah. and don't interfere really, don't interfere. Whereas other kids need a lot more attention, yeah. and and that's something that you know, and I'm sure, Craig, when you're working with coaches, and, and certainly when we're trying to get the message out there, that it's that four corner model, it is the right hand side, the, the psychosocial side that that drives the left hand side, and unless you unless you can connect with the people that you're yeah. you're trying to help you know you can you can have all the football knowledge that you want but unless you've got that connection first you, you can forget it and something you said there just reminded me of um one of the boys that, that i coach now i started with him when he was nine years old and i would say only this season under 14s have i been able to have a proper conversation mm-hmm. with him that's lasted more than two words and it, it's it's not for want of trying. It's just that um, you know, for for whatever reason, he didn't he he didn't feel comfortable or didn't maybe didn't want to have a, a conversation with another adult, and that's that's absolutely fine. It doesn't damage the relationship. It's just understanding that he's perhaps different to one of the other boys who who likes to talk just as much as I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the, that that connection that you spoke about, Tom. How, you you how how many times a week do you see the kids? Uh, they train two evenings a week yeah. and then uh, they uh, train Saturday morning and they play on Sunday so the kids are in four times I, I generally only do um, the Saturday or the Sunday Okay. Uh, so I, I generally see them three times a week ok so I'll, I'll rephrase this another way then so if you were when you get a new group or um, let's say if you were advising a coach who perhaps 
was working with a new group or perhaps didn't see their kids very often what are some of the the strategies or advice you would give to a coach to to really start to form that connection with the kids I think the first thing I would say is that you got to start off by setting the boundaries so if you've got a brand new group of kids and and lucky suppose at United that the, especially with I, I generally do the under 10s but the foundation phase 9s, 10s, 11s is very fluid we all work together so I know the under 9s already pretty much I don't know them as well as I will do but if, you, if you've got a group of kids that you don't know at all or you know very little then I think you have to set the boundaries so I would actually I mean, going back on a lot of what I've said but the, at the very beginning I would actually use a lot of structure and I would use um, like quite regimented practices initially because then you're setting the tone because you have to be, you're the leader. So you're going to lead that group for the next, whatever it is, month, two months, year, whatever, you know, then you've got to set the, set yourself out that you are the leader and the, you know, you've got to be respected and, and you're going to, you know, set the tone. So I would actually use a lot of structure initially and maybe do some command style type sessions just so they know that the biggest personality here is me and if you cross the line of bad behaviour or whatever, then I'm going to knock you back into line. Um, but within that, once you've established that boundary, the boundaries, which hopefully will be quite soon, because the kids will accept that anyway, is then my, my philosophy after that, set the boundaries, then if you stay within the boundaries, you can do whatever you want. You know? So then once you've, once you've realised that, then you can start what, what I've said before, uh, being silly. So I wouldn't, on my first session, I wouldn't have a, sing songs to them. And I wouldn't do the how many uh, the matches, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be like Eric Morecambe on the first <laughs> session or whatever. So that that comes once you get to know them. So I wouldn't. I'd, <laughs> I think you've got to just set the tone. You know, I'm the adult, you're the child. You know, you're going to come to me, but you know, ultimately I'm in charge, just like you would within a classroom situation. You know that. But then once you've established that relationship then as long as you know you, we we go by those rules and as long as you behave yourself you now then anything goes really you can you can play freely i'll support you i'll make you laugh we'll have a great time together so um yeah i, I think that is setting the boundaries and then letting them go and and craig how does that relate to the some of the best schools that you've either worked in or or, or supported as far those those sort of classroom boundaries yeah, I think um, I mean Tom, you were you were a teacher as well, a PE teacher as well. Um, but the 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 best teachers are the ones that, like Tom was saying, set the boundaries out early. But the ones that have the greatest rapport with the kids, and the ones that um, genuinely care about the kids and have an interest in them. And I suppose yeah. that's the same for grassroots coaches. It's like have a genuine interest in in the kids because, as Tom said, they're they're people. They're not just they're, they're not many adults. They're not many adults. They're not many adults. They're they're people at the end of the day. So um, and, and at the beginning of the day and at the beginning of the day, in, in, indeed. All so day. so it's it, you have to as a as a grassroots coach like know your players. Definitely. You know what's more important. You might have them for an hour hour session. So they might have might be training once, maybe twice a week if you, if you're lucky. So what's the best use of that time? You know, is it to like dissect Sunday's result in the in the local league and, and talk for fifteen minutes about what they did wrong and what, what they could have done better? Or actually, like Tom said, can they get them can you engage them straight away? Can they like arrive to training knowing that they're gonna play a game so they're gonna be really motivated and, and and use that that energy and and motivation that they bring into into sessions and, and build on that and and, and um 
and I suppose it's it's the same within the classroom as well. The best teachers and the best schools are the ones that create that fantastic environment where they get to know kids as 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 people. And again, with you make mistakes, so a lot of it comes like anything. It comes with experience, and so you, know, you I, I've made loads of mistakes. You know, so sometimes, you know, when you've got a new group, you might you might not be strong enough with them, or you might be too strong, or whatever. So you've got to. You've, you've got to gauge things as well because again everyone's different so the dynamic and the personality of one group of kids is going to be different from another mm. group of kids so there are some some groups I've had have had really strong personalities in that way and, and others have been you know a lot more gentle so you've got to gauge everything it's it's, it's it is difficult it is difficult I, you know, I think if you if it's not your occupation if it's something that you're doing you know, on a volunteer basis it's it's really tough but what I'd say is you know, just try and make sure if you've got the aim of nurturing that love of the game, um, you know, and doing what's best for the kids. And I think I really agree with what Craig said about if you're showing an interest and you show that you care about them. If you're going into these situations with and this, these are your motivations as an adult, you, know, you want to get to know the kids, you want to have a, uh, let them have a great time, you're interested in them and you care about them. Then if you're doing that and, and giving them football activities that they enjoy, then nothing's going to go wrong there but if you go into it thinking right um, I want to be this master coach I want to show everyone how great I am I want to show all these parents out there that I know more about football than them I'm going to use these kids as my pawns in a way to to raise my profile within the community then you're doing it for the wrong reasons and it's going to crash and burn Um, so I think that having and the kids will will find you out if you if you are genuinely interested in them then they'll, they'll know that they can tell if you're if you're fake or not, um, and again, that's a great, a great way of, of getting that connection is finding out, you know, uh, what the brothers and sisters. Have you got brothers and sisters, or what do you like to do, or you know, I've, you might find out that they've got um, the parents uh, into ballroom dancing or something silly like that, or just anything, yeah. anything to just or the the they're into cross country. You know, there've been several kids say United. They've been a good cross country at school or good cricketers. You know, there, there. I really, I'm into cricket a lot. So there was one parent from a few years ago who was from the West Indies. So with the the kid and the parent, every time I see him, it would be we'd just be talking about the latest cricket um, that was going on, and then that just instantly gets that connection with yeah. the family and the kid, and and every you say all any tension or pressure that might be there. And I know you got to be aware at Manchester United. There's a lot of people come there, parents and kids, you know, and it's a big deal. But it's also a big deal playing for your local club, you know, in your town because the kids want to be in the team. Everyone wants to do well. The parents want their son to be a good daughter to be a good player. So there's pressure wherever. So if you can just take it out by, you know, making a silly joke or make, being interested in people, it it helps a lot. Yeah, and I find it's um, it's finding out what what it is that they actually value so you said about you know what do they do what do the parents do what are their hobbies without necessarily asking them you know what do you value but those sort of questions you you get to find out and then that constant you know that first question when they turn up how's your golf going or how's your school rugby going or um that you know that tells them a lot about you value them as a person not just as a as a as x or no on a, on a whiteboard so important yeah it's interesting, just building on sort of what Tom said, um, something I said to the grassroots coaches on Monday night in the level one was, you know, in 20 years' time, if that kid you're coaching at the moment walks past you in the street, 
like how will they react so if they cross the road to avoid you that probably says a lot if they come up and greet you ah oh, how you doing Tom ah oh, brilliant how are you how's the family you know like oh it's great to see you I haven't seen you for 15 20 years or so then that says a lot as well so it's almost I was getting the, the, the coaches to think about well actually you know if you're going to see those these 10 year old kids they're 30 years old they're probably going to have families themselves how are they going to greet you mm-hmm. and it kind of got them thinking that that sort of it's a longer term thing absolutely not not exactly you know it's not a short term oh did we win on Sunday you know or we beat the local team in four feet yeah no whenever like that's the thing of the again at United a club like that you you do stay in touch with kids a bit longer you know the ones that do make it professionally and um, you know when you have when when the older kids that are now playing you know professionally when they ask them about the memories of the academy it's never oh, this game when we beat Liverpool or this game when we beat City or whatever. It's never that. It's always, it's often when we've gone away on uh, tournaments or training camps, you know, and, and mm. oh, we had a pillar fight and, oh, you remember that? And, <laughs> and, and, and when, or when someone did something silly and fell over. And it's, it's always these things. It's always the things that are funny and the things that are, are human and personal that they remember. It's never, you know, oh, remember when we beat so-and-so three, two, you know, they have no, no idea what the what the games are about and so again it's so important to focus on that that human interaction and, and make that memorable for them it's like where I, I first met Tom through the independent schools FA so Tom got me involved Tom was um, sort of running the, the sort of national under 14-15 representative programme uh, and I, I got involved and basically take the 14s and 15s away uh, maybe overnight so you have lads from Newcastle lads from Manchester and all over, all around the country and then we would stay in the boarding house and maybe play an academy in, in the day and then maybe an academy the next day or a training session in the academy. And then at, at night, especially when, the, when, the, when it got a bit lighter at night, we used to go out maybe at Repton and we'd play after dinner, maybe at seven o'clock, play the best shooting game in the world, which lasted like hours. Like the, you just couldn't get the kids back into the, into the dorm. And again, the coaches, the adults were involved as well, you know, adult as a team. And yeah, it, it was fantastic. And the kids just loved it. Um, and again, that's probably you ask the kids now. You know, they won't remember the, the result of games, but they'll remember the hours that they played the best shooting mm-hmm. game in the world. So I, I remember. So some of the boys that I used to teach in my school, you know, they're you know, 23, 24 years old now. They've left university. They're playing a good standard of football. Ah, and they always, oh, Craig, great to see you. Because I, I still play football with with a couple. And oh, do you remember that time at Repton we played the best shooting game in the world? And, <laughs> do you remember that time? And and again, it's like linking to school trips. Like uh, uh, and. Maybe if grassroots coaches take the, uh, are lucky or fortunate to take their kids maybe to tournaments, I know there's like Butlins tournament, Isla White tournament, those sort of things. It's like that's where the kids get their memories from. And it's like I, I still play, kind of shows my age a little bit, but the, the first cohort of kids I taught are now like 31. I'm like, I'm 30, I'm 36, yeah, I just had to think about that one. Um, <laughs> So, but they were like, oh, so do you remember that time we went to Valencia and like, oh, and so-and-so happened and oh, we met like Canizares and we met David Villa and then that's all they talk about because that's their like memories from school is, is like the trips away. Oh, we went to the Ardèche, didn't we? And there was that, there was that big scary German man that, that came and shouted at us because we'd been too noisy in the campsite. I was like, yeah, that was actually me. I put on a fake accent and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, they, but it's like those memories that like, that kids remember. Um, and it's just so, and it, you know, you, you as a coach, you as a person have to, kind of create those memories for them by being fun and engaging and, and uh, having a, a genuine interest in them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you've been at the academy since 94, is that right? Correct. So, I mean, you, you said you've seen quite a lot of the kids go through now. What have been some of the proudest moments or the biggest success stories that, that in your, your opinion, that you've had in that time? Um, 
Yeah, I think it's always great when you see a kid that you've known from maybe eight years old, you know, walk onto the pitch at Old Trafford and, and play for the first team. It's, it's a brilliant feeling. Mm. So I, th- I think that has to be it. Um, there was a time, um, it was at the end the end of last season or the end of the season before, I can't remember, the blending, where the, the, the league was pretty much done. And so the manager played about seven or eight kids, you know, that had been at the club from eight years old. And there was kids like Dimitri Mitchell and Josh Harrop scored that day. Um, and there were a lot of, um, Angel Gomez made his debut mm. and he was 16, his youngest player ever to come on. I think he, 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 did, he came on for Rooney, didn't he? Rooney was subbed That's right. and, and Angel mm. Gomez went on. I think that was maybe Rooney's last game. Um, something. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but the, uh, but yeah, it's, you can't beat the feeling that that um, you you, know, you see on TV or you see it live, where someone that you've known as a little kid. And there was, I suppose, there's a great memory as well of uh, Cameron Borthwick Jackson. His dad, I was, he was when he had that run in the first team, and I, I took John O'Sullivan actually, John O'Sullivan, yeah. uh, who went to watch a uh, game, and uh, we were sat behind Cameron's dad, and just got chatting to him, and I hadn't seen him for quite a long time because obviously we know through the foundation phase and just having that that chat where there's Cameron on the pitch playing and there's his dad and we're chatting about all the times back at the cliff and how he enjoyed it and uh, you know that, that, that's, that's a pretty good moment really wow. so in that 24 years what have been the some of the things that have remained consistent and what are some of the things that have perhaps changed in that time I think the well, we're really lucky that consistent thing has been until until very recently. The consistent thing has been the people. You know, that it was. You know, we had a situation that was very rare in football, where you had um, Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, at the club until twenty thirteen. So, you know, for for pretty much twenty years, when when I was there, then Alex Ferguson ran the club, and most of the staff were just the same. You know, the people people like Les Kershaw. Brian McClare, Tony Whelan, Paul McGuinness, Jimmy Ryan. Um, these sort of people were massive influences on me. And uh, <laughs> so I'd say that the opportunity just to to work with, with incredibly talented people, you know, and coaches and, and, and learn from them was has just been incredible. Mm. Yeah. And and then as you said about um Yeah, I'll cut this a little bit out. No. Yeah, that was where I was gonna go. So um, obviously, your your time has been spent in the in in the foundation phase. What what are the kind of success measures are you, are you judged by? Any sort of measures in there? Is it how many kids you can keep through, or how, or how do you kind of personally judge success um, season on season? <laughs> the kids are having a good time. Yeah. Um, there's no. I mean, that was the, gets back to again. This is a, I, I've been in the foundation phase since two thousand and two. So from ninety four to two thousand two, I was mostly with under twelves and thirteens. And I remember I had a meeting with a parent of a of a lad, probably in the late nineties, and uh, ch- chatting about the lad's progress. And he said, "Oh, you must feel the pressure." And I was like, "What? What do you mean?" He said, "Oh, you know, coaching Manchester United. You know, blah. You must feel the pressure." So, there's no pressure, and then genuinely, and that was the beauty of all the the names that I've just mentioned. We had that situation, that that environment where there, there wasn't any pressure. I never even thought about it until that parent said it. I said, "No, we just have a great time." And so, 
you know, I, I, there hasn't really been. Uh, you say about how do we judge success? Obviously, ultimately, you judge success. One of the ways to judge it is players in the first team, but also players going on. There are a lot of players that are playing professionally. Um, some lads that have gone to to the states, and you know, that are um, you know in universities and so on. But again, there are other lads that are, I was actually with a with an American group doing a tour for them, and we're at the Red Cafe at uh, in Old Trafford. And one of the lads that was um, serving, you know, the, bringing out the food and serving drinks, he was a kid that um, I coached as a young kid in the academy. Mm. And he came over and we had a chat and he was at university and he was doing that sort of waitering job to get a bit of money while I was at university. And we just chatted about, you know, exactly what we were talking about with Craig there, the, the fun times that we'd had. And he was, he was um, I think he might, he, he was still friends with, one of the players that was still playing with the first team and stuff like that. So success, you know, if, if you if you just say success is if we win this game or win that game, then you're not going to be that successful. If the success is that, you, again, that your kids have a brilliant time and that when you meet them, you know, yeah, you've got that, that those memories, then that's a success really because you want them to be good at football, but you want them to be good people. And uh, so I, I don't think, I, I don't feel under pressure at all. I say that, that I, I want the kids to go away at the end of the session having a brilliant time, and I want them to go away at the end of the year that I've worked with them to think, you know, he was okay. That the baldy fella that was there, and that's again what this is the other one of my other favourite stories of this group. This group that I'm with at the moment, um, <laughs> one of the kids, he uh, right the the first game, one of the first games we played in September. We played like a, another major Premier League team from the northwest, and uh, we played them away. And the, uh, he, he forgotten his lad had forgotten his bottle, water bottle for the for the game. So he went to go and fetch it, and I said, "I'll, I'll get it for you," you know, you, just before the game. So I went to get his water bottle, and then the other coach that I was with said, "Oh, um, where's Tom?" And uh, the other the kid went, "Who's Tom?" Right, and and. Uh, he went, oh, they know that he's gone to get a bottle or something. And he went, oh, you mean the ball patch guy, right? <laughs> and, so, and so when I came back, the, the other coach said, oh, you never believe this kid. He called you ball patch guy. And I thought, it's great because and I know a lot of coaches would be offended by that and think that was, and they'd call him out, how dare you? But, but again, it's a way of connecting. So he, his hair was really unkempt and it was quite long and stuff. So I said, I called him scruffy haired kid, right? So he called me bald patch guy, I and so on. I, I call him Scruffy, and the other kids call him Scruffy now. That's his nickname, is Scruffy, and and that again, it's using that as not taking it seriously because that's how he views me. I'm not this, you know. That, that's you've got to appreciate. The kids don't look at you as this incredible figure of football knowledge that they are going to learn from, and they, they they don't they don't put you on a pedestal and think that they, they don't. They, they might appreciate that you you know you're a coach at Man United a little bit, but you just look. I'm just ball patch guy, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, uh, that, that's what you are, and if you accept that that's what you are, then you're going to do a lot better in your job than if you think that you're some sort of great figure of football knowledge. Yeah. And and going back to that that school thing, Craig, that we were talking about, that um, you get young kids now, certainly who are at primary school, that um, you know the way that. Uh, 
the world is now, many of whom might come from a broken home, mm. might live with mum, might not see dad too often, mm. might have a, um, their only teacher at primary school may well be a female, mm. as is often the case in a primary school. And so um, if, uh, for, for the three of us around the table, work, you know, working in a foundation phase, we might be that one consistent male role model in, mm. in these kids' lives for a long period of time. And that's another reason why, about setting the boundaries as well, of, of giving that, um, you know, the standards of behaviour. Standard, I mean, really, it is standards, and I think that's another consistent thing that I learned as a coach at Manchester United is that the standards are very high. You know, you've got to... When I, I first started working there, it was really drilled into me by, you know, people like Jimmy Ryan and Eric Harrison... Tony Whelan, people that have got a massive history at the club, is that look this this is a, such a privilege to work here, and and it's such a fantastic club, and the standards are so high in everything that you do, not only in play and on the pitch, but off the pitch. So you've got to, you know, behave yourself, and if you go abroad on tours and tournaments, things like that, then you've got to be the best in the dining room, the best in the hotel, the better. And so I think again, it's it's that setting of standards and. And once you've established those standards, then you know, like I said, like I said before, whether you call it boundaries, standards, these things of, if the if the kids that you're working with are adhering to that, then everything's fine. But if they do, if the behaviour, like referees, is a big thing for me. And again, it was there's a, there was uh, an incident um, recent, no, not not recently in the last few weeks, but in the last few months or year or so, where one of the players was really critical of a referee. And it just doesn't happen. So that kid was off, doesn't play, mm. had to apologise to the referee and all this sort of stuff because, you know, that, that's just a non-negotiable. And so as a coach, you've got to, as, as a leader, again, coach is a, is a, a phrase because I think when you, as soon as you call someone a coach, there's almost this expectation that they've got to behave like uh, a Premier League coach, you know, an adult coach. Whereas I suppose a leader is, is a more appropriate way or a facilitator, whatever you want to call it, because you are that, that figure for those kids and you are a leader. So you've got to set the standards. And if a kid steps over the line, so criticises a referee in some way, no, that's not acceptable, off you come. That's not, that's not happening. So step over the line and then you explain it to them and maybe put them back on. And then if they behave, okay, no, that's what we expect. And then you, once that's established, then the joking and the silliness can resume, you know. But if you're not going to play by the rules that we've set, then it's not going to be much fun. No. But if you play by the rules, we're going to have a fantastic time. Going back to your point, Jack, about um, you know you, you might have kids, boys from from broken homes. You know, you think about the grassroots coaches that you you might actually be their male role model because if you look at schools, ninety percent, ninety five percent primary schools are predominantly teachers in those schools are, are female. So. You know, really, grassroots coaches have got um, a, a a great role to play in in the upbringing of, of teaching them those social skills, yeah. you know, teaching them to be a good person. Because a lot of the schools that I go into, you know, I see troublesome kids as such that are not necessarily troublesome kids. It's just that people, the teachers in the school, don't necessarily know how to how to deal with them or and, and talk to them properly and treat them actually as kids and, and connect with them as, as Tom's been saying. And that connection as well. But also, you were saying earlier, Craig, about play play time and stuff like that. And I think. Kids need to let off steam, you know, because if anyone that's had owned a dog, then you know that certainly the dogs that I've had is that in the morning, take them for a run, you know, a run around, and then they'll settle down for the day. So, and a lot of kids are like that. Mm. Some kids aren't, but a lot of kids, if you, uh, before school, if they have a 20 minute game of football before school, 
and then they'll go in and their concentration levels will be better because they've had that bit of exercise and then they go and let off steam at break but if they can't let off steam because of you know health and safety issues or so on then then I would imagine that in a classroom situation, that'd be more difficult to deal with. Well, it's certainly true. In my old school, the in the, in the junior school, they they cut playground by five minutes. So instead of having a twenty minutes break, they had a fifteen minutes break. And then the teachers started noticing that behaviour had been deteriorating. I was like, well, because the kids, you're not giving the kids the time to be kids to go away and like it's not all about English, maths, and science or mm. at, you know year two. Isn't they're not the most important things. Yeah, they're important, but you need to give t- kids the opportunity to be kids to allow them to do what they want to do within boundaries and parameters mm. that are safe, that are fun and enjoyable. But it's, it's what they want to do, not necessarily you know, adult-imposed uh, mm. activity. It needs to be play in its yeah. purest sense as such. And, and I, I can attest for your kids, actually, Tom, because you just reminded me of um, definitely two times in the last two years that I've been at an airport where I've seen your boys, and I'm, I'm almost certain it would have been the 10s, the at, at 11s at most, uh, traveling one was definitely to Budapest uh, a couple oh, yeah, of years yeah. ago um, and I can't remember where the other one was now but they've got I've got to say their behavior was absolutely exceptional and because I was on the outbound and the in, inbound flight um, and so I got to got to see kind of how they were like with other adults and in the airport and they were a, a, a bundle of joy and b really well behaved so um, it, it was it was a, a joy to see to be honest and that's you know that, that's that's the standard isn't it and that's you know that's really nice feedback and we get good feedback like that all the time because it is so important. And again, it's not, it's not just about the football. And, and I, I really, the football is the easy bit. It really is because, you know, if you kids love playing football, so if you set up a, a practice or a, a game, then they'll go for that. And so that, that's really the easy bit. The hard bit is, like I said, setting the parameters, setting the standards, setting the boundaries, and then interacting with the kids and giving them that great time. That that's the tough bit. So you you talked about those those standards that the club adhere to, mm. and so how how does it work in in the academy? Is it the, is there a list of kind of core values that everyone adheres to, or is it just kind of unwritten rules that that, uh, it, that it's, spread? It's totally unwritten, but it comes. It's like anything, any culture that is successful, it comes from passing it on. It's passing the the baton, and so again, I mentioned it, I started in nineteen ninety four, and the the people that. At that time, Manchester United had an under-16 team. That was it. That was there was no, you know, there were no under nines, under tens. It was under 16s. That was it. And um, so we didn't have any in those days. You could only sign kids from 14, and so the the kids would play uh, for the school team, the town team, the club team, all that sort of stuff. So we had them once a week to come in. And but I had, um, I learned from like Jimmy Ryan was. The reserve team coach at the time, Eric Harrison was the youth team coach. Pop Robson was the youth team coach as well. And so, and there was basically, Paul McGuinness was the full-time director of the Centre of Excellence as it was. And me and Tony Whelan were part-time. And then John Cook came on board, um, you know, in, in the next year. We were the part-time staff. It was very small. But I had th- these great icons of, of the club that I was... I was just learning from I was just shadowing these these people for the first two or three years and so they just taught me all about Manchester United and all about the standards and and the history and traditions of you know whether you whether you like or hate Manchester United you have to admit that he's one of the great clubs of the world and I was just given this education by these amazing people on the history of the club and the traditions of the club and the standards and then 
you know, as as it's gone on, I've then I'm I'm the older guy now, and so over the last several years is that if a new coach comes in, often they'll get put with me, and then it's up to me to to pass those standards on. So you you know you need mentors. I had mentors that are incredible, um, and you know, so someone like Tony Whelan, for example, he's been a, probably the greatest influence on me, but I've only ever seen him do four sessions, and he's just taught me so much about how to deal with people, how to treat people. You know, that, that's so important, how to treat people, be hospitable, be friendly, be welcoming, um, treat people properly, make sure that, you know, you, you're equal and fair with everyone. And so these are lessons that, that I've learned. And, and again, from Eric Harrison, I've learned a, a great deal as well about, you know, coaching in game situations and, and one-to-ones. Eric was fantastic at, at how he dealt with players one-to-one. So you just learn in that and then you pass it on and you pass it on. And I think, um, you know, that that's the other thing that I would say about grassroots coaches is, um, you know, having a mentor system. And Craig and I had a chat about this the other day. I think it was on the way back from St. George's Park the yeah, other day. Yeah, it was, yeah, in the, in the car. After I'd come to St. George's Park for this podcast and been blown out by Craig. But, but um, <laughs> so I had to get something out of it. So we had a chat. <laughs> we had a chat. And this is one of the things that saying about how lucky I was to have all these mentors um, and, and how important it is and and do grassroots co- grassroots coaches have men- and, and he explained to me how the FA is putting this in and I think it's vital mm. it's yeah. so important that you're able to sit and, and, and I learned more you know we just sit and talk football you know just in a casual situation and uh, <clears throat> again when I was I started at United I was I was 26 and I was I had uh, my kids were quite young I was I was a PE teacher so I had holidays and in the holidays I would just go and watch the training, the first team train, the youth team train, and then um, go and sit in the coaches' room and have a cup of tea. And there'd be the first team, you know, it'd be like Brian Robson and Steve Bruce would be walking in, and there'd be Brian Kidd and Alex Ferguson about, and Eric Harrison and, and Pop Robson, all these people. And I'd just be sat there with a cup of tea, not saying a word, you know, but just absorbing it all. And, you know, that I, I admit that. I had probably the, one of the greatest educations that is possible to have, but you, who's providing that for, for the grassroots coaches, really? And, and just to sit and talk about football, um, I think it's so important. Yeah, and that's you know one of the things that I've been speaking to the coaches that I've been fortunate enough to work with on these level ones this year, because they're all at the same club and they all coach at the same venue at the same time. You know, I'm challenging them to... Don't, you know, one of them is a, is a, a goals so they, they hire out the mini absolute turf pitches and I said look just try to get into the habit of don't just leave at 10 o'clock in the morning when your session finishes mm. go and have a cup of tea for 15 yeah, minutes yeah. and just talk football yeah. talk foot coaching talk the kids yeah, just talk, share talk about the kids and that's that's again constantly chatting about the kids all the time because we keep one of the things we've kept emphasising in this discussion is you've got to know your kids you've got to make those connections with your kids so if you have a, a cup of tea at the end of the session and you're just chatting and you say oh oh Fred oh he did this thing today and blah 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 you know he scored this great goal so if Craig's working with Fred and he said oh Fred scored this great goal today and blah 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 then then the next session I could hey you scored that goal and tell me about it and again you, you make that you, it helps with those relationships yeah. and you're talking about oh he's struggling a little bit you know oh um, you know Brian's really struggling a little bit in this session and, and then it might be actually 
um, you know, his his granddad died last week or whatever. And this mm. sharing of information mm. about the kids, it's so important mm. uh, because, you know, again, if, if, if there's been a situation at home, then you need to know that and you need to treat that kid appropriately because of that. Um, yeah, I think that's vital, you know, before, like tonight, even before the, I got to um, the cliff at about quarter past five and had a cup of tea and a sandwich and was chatting with the, the lads before, you know, the other coaches beforehand. And it's making those connections with them as well, having a laugh and, um, you know, and that's vital as well that you all get on. And I think that's the other thing about, you know, certainly the foundation phase at United is that, you know, we all get on brilliantly and there's there's no, no one's trying, often you get that in, in coaching situations, maybe at academies especially, is that everyone's trying to climb over each other to get a job in some sort of way. Whereas if you can get that, um, that relationships like we've got in the foundation phase at, at United is where we, we're just there for the kids and we just get on and everyone you know just wants to have a great time together yeah. then you can really achieve a lot yeah and uh, there was something you said earlier about um, having that, that greater purpose or understanding what what your club's purpose is and it reminds me of some work that I, I did with um, some clubs in the past where they've they've asked me to come in and help them to sort of define or develop what a, a club ethos might be and the first question I've asked them is well what does your badge mean what does it what does it stand for that thing that you're wearing on your, on your crest what does every single one of those details mm. mean about and what does it say about your club mm. and the, often the response is well I'm not sure actually well it wouldn't be a bad place to start to actually find out a little bit about the history and the tradition and yeah. and who it is that you're representing. And you can, like not everyone's got the history and tradition of Manchester United, but you can create something yeah. like that. And you, you need, but it's about the people. And again, someone that's not a coach at all. There's a guy called Graham Buckingham that that works at United, and he's been there longer than I have. And he's been a scout. He's been um, he, he's a former fireman, so he, he sort of doubles up as a first aider, physio. He's, he's been a kit man for ages. But he's just the guy that the kids just adore. If you ask any of the the guy, you know, the players in the first team at United or whatever, one of the main figures that they remember is Graham Buckingham because he's the guy that um, you know he sings all the songs before the games. He'll be going round the change rooms and he'll be singing all the United songs and getting the kids singing. And then you'll hear, you know, we'll be having a cup of tea before the games in the coaches' room and you'll hear this big commotion and shouting and screaming and you'll dash into the into the uh, changing room and you'll see about four under nines hanging off Graham's arm because he's doing arm wrestling <laughs> with them, you know, and he's trying to... And, and he, people like that are just invaluable. Yeah. And they just make the experience for the kids but the whole club. So not every club, so that your local, you know, grassroots club, you, you can't be Manchester United or Liverpool or Barcelona. You can't be, you know, but you can create a culture and environment. You know, we, we've talked about standards and, and you can have that, but... The people allowing people to do that, say making up silly songs, and you know you can again you can say to with the kids, you know, can you get some of the terrorist songs, you know, like if a kid scores a goal, you can go, one Fred blogs, there's only one, you know, and you, I do that all the time. In fact, I did that with this under eighteen team that I coached yesterday. You know, a kid scored a, a goal, and I was singing one, you know, with his name and and calling out, and the the, the beam comes across the lad's face. And, you know, you, you've got to look to do that. But I think, like I said, creating a culture um, that is so positive and, and that the kids want to be part of and parents want to be part of yeah. is really key. Yeah. And it's all, again, it's people. It's not, it's not facilities. In, and, again, um, there are certain clubs 
in the northwest that now have got brilliant facilities. Certain academies have got great facilities. And uh, one parent made a comment to me in the last several months is that, you know, you can have the best aeroplanes, but you've got to have the best pilots. And I quite like that one because I like to think at United, you know, we've, we've got some good pilots. It's fantastic. Well, I want to um, be respectful of your time, Tom, and, and, and shuffle things on a little bit. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give your, uh, your voice a, a, a quick break. And um, how are you for time? You've got to just got a text from Tony, yeah, Tony Wynn as well. I do, I think. Yeah, to be fair, I wouldn't mind getting off because I'm, I'm an early to bed guy. Yeah, no worries. Should we, should we part them four questions that I'd, I'd uh, sent out then about yep. uh, best investment, change your mind about, how, what have you? Um, do you want to do them quickly? You can do them quickly if you want. They don't have to yeah. be, they're quick, quick questions. They okay. don't have to be quick. It quick can be fun. quick answers, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so I want to be respectful of your time. So um, we'll, we'll finish off with some, some quick fire uh, questions that we tend to ask most of the people that, that come on board on the buzzer on the buzzer yeah um, so it seems it is it is well past our bedtime now um, advice so you, it sounds like you've, you know, you've absorbed so much from so many incredible people in your time at the club normally I ask what, what, what advice would you, would you give to yourself starting out and I still want to ask that but what, what, what's been the best piece of advice that you've gotten from all those people uh, throughout the years I think treat people properly. Like I said about Tony, he, I don't think he, he never, he's not really said those words to me, but it's just from observing, observing him and how he's gone about things is that I think how you treat people is really, really important. And, you know, especially when, you know, you are wearing that badge and, and people do expect things of you. So I think, um, you know, just treat whether, whether it's, a, a nine-year-old kid or whether it's um, uh, an adult that's visiting um, like we had a we had a guy from Canada come in to watch uh, a session tonight and stuff so it's important that you go across and you say hello and you know just treat people properly um, be hospitable you know again we've got this there's a lot of football clubs have a culture of tea and stuff like that I think get someone a cup of tea make them feel welcome have a chat to them um, I think that that's really key and, and from there if you if you treat people with generosity and hospitality and treat them properly, then anything's possible, really, um, you know, with them. So I think that's the best piece of advice. Yeah, and what about if you were going back and visit yourself when you were starting out, what advice would you give to that? I would that say, coach? I, I think, um, really try hard for the kids that are in front of you. I think that, that we've gone through phases, probably at Manchester United, of trying to change the world in a way because we felt evangelical about the way we do things at United. And it's not always gone down well, because people get suspicious of you in a way. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you just can't really change people. Certain people of mentality, maybe you can't change them. Um, it's soft, uh, and we, we tried to get everyone to think how we thought in a way. And maybe we took our eye off the ball and, and tried too much to change the world to think how we thought at Manchester United. Whereas actually you've just got to concentrate on the kids that you're working with and pour everything into them and uh, maybe not be distracted in a way from from that um so i i think i'd say my advice would be don't you know don't take yourself too seriously which is really key um you know accept i've said it before accept who you are you're not this amazing figure of um great football knowledge that everyone looks at you know you just you've in this privileged position of of working with some brilliant kids 
then enjoy every minute of it and uh, yeah just don't take yourself too seriously I guess same question Craig so in terms of what advice um, so something I, I don't know where I heard this from you might know remember I, there's a really good um, a quote I heard for life it's probably from a podcast and it probably is quite relevant to what we've been talking about today it's um, like connection before correction I don't know where I heard that no. from and I heard it recently it probably wasn't a podcast I'm not taking any credit for it whatsoever and I'm sorry to the person who coined that phrase but I just really like it because it it kind of encompasses everything that we've been talking about tonight you know connection before connect with the, the people before you're trying to correct them and I don't like necessarily like that correction part as well but it just it's a nice little phrase and then the other thing you know something that I'd I wish when, when I first started coaching is just like just to relax <laughs> it's always just like I, not that I was really that tense but like, it's not about me it's mm. like it's about the kids it's it, don't say like Tom was saying don't take myself seriously but just just relax mm. you know it's 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 football it's not really that serious at the end of the day yeah you're privileged to I think you've got to you've got to look at it you are privileged to be a part of these kids life whether you work in a you know a, a Premier League club or whether you work in a, a your local club team so you know just just take that and and enjoy it and enjoy working with those kids and hopefully like Craig said in 10 20 years time you know the measure of how well you've done will be how how the people respond to you as adults so yeah yeah and that probably leads us nicely on to the next one so what have you seen read or heard recently Craig that's had an impact on your coaching again another one that I I don't know where this came from it's another quote um Again, I don't. I'm sorry for whoever coined the phrase. It's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jills and Joes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our friend uh, John. Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard him say that. Yeah, I'm almost. I, I, I mean, I listen to loads of podcasts, so I, I, I don't always remember where I get them from. I need to write these things down. But yeah, and another one. It's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jills and Joes. Yeah. I love that one. How about you, Tom? And okay, it's from a John O'Sullivan podcast. There was um, a gentleman that's a is a professor at U, in Utah. And he was saying about how the the aim of, of a coach or a teacher should be to to um, get the kids to learn or the pupils or whatever it is to learn as much as possible with as little feedback from you as possible. So it it gets back to my my thing of um, like football for me like being a puzzle, and it's my job to create puzzles for the kids to solve. Whereas I think that a lot of coaches see the game as a puzzle and they think they've got to solve the puzzle for the kids. So in listening to, to what the, that gentleman said, unfortunately I've forgotten his name, but um, you know, he, I really like that is because again, I, I want to try and, like tonight, I want to, those kids to learn with as much direct involvement from me as possible. So you set up, set the puzzle, and tonight we just put head tennis and played some games and stuff like that. But whatever it is, you know, the little possession games that we do or whatever is, is to create a game. So you go away and you think, right, what do I want to achieve? So you create a game and then you put the kids into that game and you watch them learn and work it out without you telling them the answers. And I think that's really re rewarding. And, uh, you know, so from as little feedback as possible. So they're learning themselves. Um, so I, I like I like that bit of advice. And I'm just curious, what would, what was an example of that possession game be? So for for example, tonight was it? What were the conditions that you had on? Well, we didn't do it tonight. We just ah, let okay. them play freely. But no, um, I play like just simple sort of um, say five v five v three. Um, 
that's a basis for a lot of things. That is a 5v3, the three have got unlimited touches, the five are on two touch or three touch or whatever. So the five have got yeah. more numbers. And so the, all the things are in that. So spread out, move the ball on your first touch, awareness, decision-making. Um, there's so, everything's there. Um, so you might, you, then you could do like five passes for a goal. You could actually put some goals in. You could then do a bit of directional play where you have a man on the end and they've got to get to the man on the end. So you just, from a basis like that, you can just do lots of different things or you could do 4v4 like that. Um, there's another game that I really like where you've got a halfway line. So you might have five or, or maybe more. You may have seven aside, let's say, in each half and only four can go into... So four reds can go into the blue half when the ball's in there and four blues can go into the other half. And the game's just about trying to keep the ball in your half. So that's all it is. It's really simple. But the kids play it for hours. Yeah. You know, they just keep playing it because they want to keep the ball in that half. And they're the four have got to get into that half and get it back into their half. So just thinking, you know, just creating little games like that. And I saw um, one of the other coaches at United just did a session last week where it was, um, you get a, a point by getting a one-two which is great. So kids are then looking for little one-twos and give-and-goes and combination play. That's really good. Mm. You know, just think, just really, just think. Yeah. Just be creative and, uh, yeah, just, just try and do that. But then set, set up the puzzle and then just watch them go. Don't, don't keep going in all the time and telling them what the answers are because the problem is I think a lot of coaches want to look good to the... If you've got parents watching or your boss watching... You want the practice to be seamless and you want it to look good. Whereas most of the best practices look really shabby and look chaotic and look scruffy. Um, so you've got to accept that. Yeah, okay. Two, two quick ones to go. Um, what have you changed your mind about in the, the time that you've spent working with kids? Probably um, <coughs> the biggest change of mind is when going back to like the curver phase, um, like Rennie Moulinstein came in in 2002 when I moved to the foundation phase so uh, Rene and Tony Whelan and, and myself I was brought in with them they led it and I, I worked with them to redevelop the foundation phase program and Rene came in with doing a lot of Kerber work and uh, so I, I did learn some things I, I learned a lot from Rene but I think that the overemphasis on drills wasn't quite right not for Manchester United and it, it you know we went from a game based um, syllabus in a way to very drill based syllabus and then eventually I think we learned that that wasn't possibly the right thing and we went back to more game based things so I think um, having that Eric Harrison influence early where everything was you create a game and you coach within the game to then we do lots of drills which look really good um, then going back into the game thing so that was a bit of a learning experience for me How about you Craig? Yeah, similar in a, in a sense because um, I guess from my foundation, I was out and did a lot of coaching in America, and I had some a, a, a really good time uh, with with Noga Soccer, which was called then, and it was brilliant for me. A guy called Tim Bradbury learned a lot from. But I, I used to think that that kids needed to be coached in just a, a very simple um, or a very structured way, and uh, I think the the, further, the the more I've coached, especially at the foundation phase, the more I've realised that. Yeah, you need to go probably more down a games-based approach. Yes, you know, a drill or isolated practice might be okay if you know kids practicing at home or against the wall. I remember Tom telling me a story about 
a magazine like wanted I don't know who the magazine was wanted, oh, yeah. wanted a drill wanted, wanted a drill yeah. and to improve the passing you were like well we'll get a wall and uh, hit the ball against the wall like hundreds of times and that will develop the f- and yeah. then publish no no it, they also <laughs> said they also said so I said um, what would you you know give us a I can't remember the question was what would you do with a, a local a group of kids right you've got them so said right okay what I'd do is um, I've got 10 kids or whatever I'd take them down local park um, I'd set out a pitch for them, give them a football. I'd go and sit on my chair and read the paper and let them play for an hour, and then I'd take I'd, to get them home again, or something like that. And uh, they didn't get published. No, they, they were like, no, "Let's contact this Man United coach to get you know, what would you do with these local kids?" No, I don't. I they didn't like. They were expecting an answer where you, where you get like three mannequins and I know, you get, like, exactly. clones and you set up Heathrow and you like have like coming into land and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Um, last question then. Uh, I'll start with you, Craig. Best investment that you've made in yourself as a coach? Yeah, so uh, Tom and I were talking about this coming back from St. George's on, on Tuesday night. It, it, it's got to be just talking to to people, like-minded people, and maybe not like-minded people, um, listening to podcasts. Um, just like Tom said, he, he's learned a lot. You know, I've learned a lot. I'm sure, Jack, you've learned from, from mentors or unofficial mentors. It's just immersing yourself uh, and 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 getting that opportunity to to speak to like-minded people and all right that might be difficult for grassroots coaches but as you said earlier it's taking that 15 minutes at the end of the session the half an hour go and have a cup of tea and just talk about football talk about the kids talk about your sessions and that kind of builds culture and that might build that, that culture within that within that grassroots club grassroots club I remember I was fortunate to go to United at Carrington, taking an independent school. I think it was the under 15s or something. We played in a tournament mm. at Man United and maybe Liverpool and a couple of other teams. But that how hospitable it was. As soon as I walked in the door, oh hi, how are you? Like come into the coach's room mm. and like have a cup of tea and the chocolate biscuits out. And, and, and it was just like you're made to feel so welcome. So I think grassroots clubs can do that and create that culture. But it, it's it's having like-minded people to to bounce ideas off and uh, and just in. And learn from other people and, and stealing ideas from from them. Okay, Tom, best investment. Uh, I think my friendship with Craig Lawrence. It's the best investment <laughs> I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, you can edit that. We didn't say that. Bit, actually, what what a moment! <laughs> that bucket. And that, sick. And on that note. <laughs> Did I? Did we ask you your um, what you changed your mind about Tom? So, uh, Tom Craig. Did I ask you? Yeah, I kind of waffled and went, I went, went, went off. And um, <laughs> although I, I've just realised I'm actually thirty five, I said I was thirty six earlier. I don't think how old I was. Well, you said you were thirty six, but you got kids that you taught that were now thirty one. Yeah, totally thirty one this year. Yeah, yeah. You were six yeah. years old when you were coaching, when you were teaching them. No, I'm lost. It's too late. It's been a long day. It's been, it has. It's been a very long. It has. Day. We should uh, change my mind about. It, there's no one way. Uh, it, <laughs> I suppose. It, I suppose if you were 20 I'll get it now so you were like 24 and they were 18 you were the best of right okay yeah all right. school year yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, to change my mind about uh, oh we're still going we're still going yeah change my mind about was, uh, there's not one set way there's you know there's no right necessary right or wrong it's just, just maybe justifying what you do and the reasons why you do it Brilliant. there you go Great stuff, <laughs> and we all, And on that note, we'll uh, end it there. Um, Tom Statham, Craig Lawrence. This has been fantastic as ever. I've I've learned a load. I've just sat here with my jaw open most of the time, and um, had a thoroughly enjoyable time. So thanks for making this happen. The both of you really appreciate it. Great, you're welcome. Cheers, Thank lovely. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show 
please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.